This is the Endangered Species Podcast, where we find godly men and talk with them about their journey to the rare destination that is noble manhood. From Phoenix, Arizona, I'm your host, Shawnee V, along with my man, Dave Matthews, the other Dave Matthews. On today's episode, we're chatting with Blake Brewer. You're going to hear Blake talk about the worst and the best days of his entire life. And amazingly, they were both on the same day. Blake hosts his own podcast with tons of listeners. And he's on this incredible mission to get a million dads to do something that almost every single one of them has never done. Most of our listeners aren't dads yet, but I'm 100% confident even single guys will be inspired by Blake's story. I can't wait for you to hear him. Let's dive in with Blake Brewer. Blake, take us on your manhood journey because, um, you know, I'm thinking right now about the day you and I met. We met when you were a college student, and I know the story from my perspective. I was uh, working with a mentoring group, a faith-based mentoring group called Stumo at the University of Arkansas, and I see this guy sitting over there um, in the cafeteria by the window, and I went and sat down, and uh, man, take it from there. I'd love to hear your perspective. Well, I you know, remember the day that we met, uh, like yesterday. Now I feel like I'm talking about the day I met my wife or something, but I remember the day <laughs> you and I met. <laughs> nope. <laughs> say we could overlay some romantic music on this. Really. Uh, it was my sophomore year and we met in the cafeteria at Bruff and, uh, I had just three months earlier had had maybe the most tragic um, moment, definitely the most tragic moment of my life that I hope none of your listeners ever experience. Uh, I had, uh, it was May of 2003. I just finished my freshman year at the University of Arkansas. And back up, backing up a little bit, I'd gone, I came into college um, wanting to follow Christ. Uh, I didn't uh, exactly know what that looked like. And I would say for most parts of my life that I was like ready to, to follow Christ. But looking back, I realized that I was still hanging on to some things that I wasn't fully um, wanting to give over. I was the guy freshman year who uh, didn't drink, um, but I was also the guy who was trying to meet as many girls as I could and was in my dorm room secretly looking at porn, uh, but also going to Bible study the next night. And so I was really trying to figure out my identity. Definitely on the outside, it, it's, you know, it looked like I had everything together, but uh, on the inside, man, I had a long ways to go in my relationship with Christ and my journey of manhood and building my character. And so then uh, May of 2003, I come home from college and my mom had planned this kind of once in a lifetime vacation for my family. And she had always taken us, we had always planned trips to go to Hawaii or to the beach and snow skiing, but this was to Hawaii. And so it was my mom, my dad, my sister and a brother. And the first day that we were there, uh, we woke up and we were trying to decide like, what are we going to go do today? Like we're in Hawaii. And I remember we were looking at all these brochures and we saw this brochure for taking a, a moped trip around uh, the island. And my dad made this joke where he's like, could you imagine me on the moped? And my dad wasn't necessarily the funny guy, but this was funny to all of us because my dad was like 6'3", 230 pounds. He was like this huge man. Sean, you know, he 
he played college football at Louisiana Tech. He was uh, Terry Bradshaw's tight end, uh, caught his first uh, touchdown pass. My dad got drafted by the Falcons, um, ended up getting hurt, so he never got to play. Um, but that was part of my identity growing up. You know, my father was this great athlete. Uh, and this really big man. Uh, and so here he was in Hawaii, like making fun of himself, riding this moped. And he's like, and so we said, no, okay, we're going to pass on the moped <laughs> and decided to go to uh, the beach. And we went to uh, Hanama Bay, which if anyone has been to Hawaii, they know that this is one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. Hmm. And as soon as we got there, uh, we went out into the water and we just started uh, snorkeling and uh, we saw some beautiful fish. We saw some beautiful, saw a sea turtle. Like it was just amazing. And for me, um, I still vividly remember how special I felt in that moment, just being with my dad. Like I remember sitting there saying, man, this is so cool. I've been at college for a year and now it's just me and my dad and hanging out. Yeah. And so, um, we just, um, kept snorkeling, kept going further and further out. And, um, I remember there was a point where I put my head out of the water and all of a sudden I noticed that the waves are a lot bigger. And now I know that we are in an area of the bay called Witch's Brew and it's known for its treacherous waters. And so I put my head out of the water. I'm like, man, where'd my dad go? And in between the waves, like a wave would come and I'd kind of rise up to the top and I, I saw my dad and he was trying to get out of the water. And there was a point where, um, kind of where we were at, there wasn't an easy way out of the water. And he was trying to get out of the water out of, on this rock and the waves were just crashing against this rock. And I remember thinking, why is he trying to get out of the water um, right there? And as he was about halfway out on this rock, this wave crashed against um, my dad and knocked him back down in the water. And I remember thinking, this is not good. And so I just, started swimming towards my dad and as I was swimming towards my dad I remember my dad uh yelling for help and I could just tell by the tone in his voice that he was really in trouble how, how far out were you Blake from any kind of help lifeguards or anything like that well if you can imagine a bay so it's like shaped like a U yeah. and so we were really far out from the bottom of the U, which is where the beach was. And so I can't even imagine like 500 yards. I mean, they were like, like really mm -hmm. tiny dots on the beach. Wow. Um, I've seen, I've seen overheads of witches brew before I can picture it perfectly. Yeah. So, um, I remember my dad yelling for, for help and, and he had this booming voice but as he was yelling for help it was not a booming voice it was kind of like this kind of weak voice like help and so um, I knew he was in trouble as I got closer to um, my dad um, I realized that he was he he was underneath the water as I as I got on got up close to him and at that point he was unconscious and I mean, my mind is just like running a, a million miles an hour. Like, oh my gosh, what is happening? This really is serious. I've got to get my dad to shore. And so I, I did the only thing that I could in that moment, which was just put my arms around him and just try to swim with him to shore. And I knew 
this was going to be hard because as I mentioned, there wasn't an easy place to get out of the water. So it was going to be a long swim to get to a spot where we could get out. And I just started swimming with uh, my dad and man, I, I personally was not doing well. Like I was extremely tired at this point and I was asking myself, like, am I going to make it? And it was by God's grace at that moment, um, uh, a snorkeler in the area who I was, didn't even know was there showed up and he swam to my dad and I, and he, he took over, um, for me and told me to swim to shore. So I swam to shore. And by that point, the lifeguards had seen us out there struggling. And so the lifeguard, went out, got my dad on the surfboard and brought him to shore where I was. And I remember, was this, what, did the guy swim out or did he have some sort of powered surfboard or I'm just trying to picture this scene, man. He, no, he was just on a surfboard, just swimming wow. like, like normal. And they, I don't even remember somehow they got my dad onto the surfboard and, and, um, brought him to shore. And I just remember, uh, them doing CPR next to, next to me on, on the beach. And I got down to a knee and I just remember praying, God, please allow my dad to live. And about that time, my mom and sister who were on the beach saw all the commotion over there and all the lifeguards gathered around. And, um, they told me later that they said, Hey, that is the area that Blake and dad were in. And they ran over and as they got closer, I saw my mom and I just never forget the look on her face. And she came up to me and I was like, and they're still doing CPR on my dad. And I said, mom, it's not good. Like, I, I don't think that they're, that he's going to make it. And they loaded my dad up into the ambulance and they took him to the hospital where they pronounced my dad dead. And so as you can imagine, this was absolutely the worst day, uh, of my life. And, uh, you know, it started off as one of the greatest days, mm -hmm. um, being in Hawaii with my dad and family and getting to snorkel and, and then <clears throat> in a matter of moments, it just changed and <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, as you know, the next year, and I probably wept and cried and mourned mm. more than anybody. And now I'm able to tell the story without crying. Mm -hmm. um, now, sometimes I do and get really emotional. But part of the reason that I'm able to tell the story now um, without just getting overly emotional is, is because of what uh, I discovered that afternoon. Um, so as I'm back in the hotel room, um, which by the way, Blake, to, to interrupt you, um, you, this is bringing back so many memories for me because the first day I met you almost word for word, you told me everything you just told me. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. And, and I know the end of the story, um, as well. And, um, I just get goosebumps, man, hearing you say that. I, 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 there is one part I never heard you say. I never heard you talk about praying on the beach, you know, and asking God to to spare your dad's life. I don't remember hearing that before. And no, knowing now, obviously, of course, that he didn't. 
that your dad, you lost your dad that day. I've seen guys go one of two directions when they experience tragedy as it relates to, you know, belief in God or uh, belief in uh, following Christ or whatever. And obviously one of those is you get cynical and bitter and you get mad at God and you go and you live your life independent from him. And then there are others who heal and, and press in and they go, they get closer to God. And obviously I know what, which one you ultimately chose, but anyway, that, that just stuck out to me right there. Go ahead, bud. T- tell well, us about. I, well, I, to add on to that, I absolutely agree, Sean. I've seen guys like that. And I look at my life, I could have easily gotten bitter at God. I could have easily, as I was feeling so much pain, especially for the next year in my life, I could uh, have tried to run from my pain uh, mm-hmm. and try to medicate it um, with, you know, whatever alcohol or girls or whatever it might be. But honestly, that next year of my life was the year that I grew more spiritually and closer to God than I had ever in my life. And, and I have to attribute that um, to a lot of different things. Um, but primarily, which is what happened next, Mm -hmm. which I was in the, on my bed, uh, that afternoon after my dad drowned. And as you can imagine, I was just totally distraught and Mm -hmm. mourning and weeping and, asking God those questions, like how in the world did this happen? God, um, you know, why did this happen? Um, is there a God? I was asking those questions and my mom comes into the room and she says, Blake, um, here's something that your dad was going to give you on this trip. And it's a letter Hmm. and he's been working on it for the last couple of months and he was going to give it to you. And so I started to read this letter that I didn't know existed. My dad wrote it not knowing he was going to die. And it was basically a letter of, of encouragement. And this letter encouraged me to persevere in my faith. This letter encouraged me to uh, know the, the word of God for myself, not just rely on other people and their interpretations of it. Um, the last line of the letter said you're going to be a minority here on earth for your faith but i assure you in heaven you'll be in the majority love your dear old dad in christ jesus and so because of that letter i knew that my dad was in heaven (laughs) uh and so as much pain as i was experiencing and how much i miss my dad I knew that my dad was with our heavenly father. I knew that if, if given the choice, you know, you know, if God said, Hey, Hey, Larry, my dad's name, Larry, would you want to go back to earth? He would say, heck no, I'll just stay right here and and wait on them. And because, because of that letter, I, I, I wanted to live for, the things that really mattered. I began to have an eternal perspective. I wanted to live for God and I wanted to live for the things that mattered to God. Hmm. Um, That's really interesting because this might be, I don't want to get too morbid here, but what do you think? Do you think it would have had the same impact on you if your dad hadn't just died that afternoon? What do you, what do you think your reaction to the letter would have been if it was just him handing it to you? You know, I, I think 
anytime a, a father speaks words of encouragement to mm -hmm. their children, it's extremely powerful. Yeah. But obviously just the timing of everything that, that this is happening literally hours after my dad died and that God allowed for, for him to write that letter allowed for me to receive it at that time. It, it's just one of those things you you can, I couldn't deny like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is from God. Yeah. It's my dad wrote it, but. Well, I can tell you, Blake, I've, I've never met Larry Brewer. Of course. I've heard a lot of stories about him. I feel like I know him. I heard a lot of stories when I officiated y'all's wedding. Um, but that last line about being a minority in, uh, on earth, but in the majority on heaven in heaven, I can't tell you how many times I have sat with a younger guy and told that story and that line because it's so easy to feel alone. You know, again, um, to me, you're a legend of the manhood game. <laughs> and, and one of the thing that's, things that's true about legends is that legends set themselves apart. They make different decisions. They show up earlier. They stay later, you know, and that line, I think from your dad, that those written words have been used to encourage, I, I don't know how many young men, including myself, uh, to stay the course when everybody around me is kind of like, screw that, you know, God doesn't exist, or I don't want to pay the cost that it takes to be a godly man. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has been brought to my mind over the years has been lines from that letter. Well, <clears throat> I mean, that happened over 18 years ago, and those words are still guiding me to this day. They def they absolutely um, are there with me and were with me in college, especially as I was really tr trying to live for God and um, help my friends in college to know God. And there was a lot of moments that um, I was asking myself, man, do I really want to live for this? Um, do I really want to be the guy that's a little bit different because I'm willing to live for God? Do I want to be the guy that goes there in a conversation uh, with somebody to talk about spiritual things. And it's like, no, like I could, those lines from my dad were just pushing me like, no, you, you've got to talk about these things. There's nothing more important. I remember, I remember a guy living on your dorm floor that was sleeping with his girlfriend pretty consistently. And I remember you t saying to me, dude, I feel like I need to, cause he, he was a Christian. This guy said he was a Christian. And I remember you saying to me, I feel like I need to say something to him. And I was like, yeah, he should. I remember you wrestling back and forth. Like, I don't really want to, like this guy doesn't want to hear what I'm about to say. He doesn't want this conversation to happen. And I remember we, we prayed for him. I still remember his face and his name, <laughs> but, but I remember you had the conversation and I remember thinking, dude, that took some balls, you know, to, to go and sit down with this guy and say, Hey man, I care about you. I know you say you're a follower of Christ, but you know, you're, you're shacking up and that's, that's not a great, um, model to other guys who are thinking, what, what is a Christian? Oh, I guess it's the same as you just do whatever, whatever, everybody else does. And anyway, I, I still remember that. <clears throat> oh, I absolutely remember that. That was probably within six months, um, of my dad passing. Mm -hmm. And I had known you at that point for, you know, two or three months. And so backing up, 
you know, I met you in, I think maybe in August of my sophomore year, right after, um, you know, three months after my dad died, school just started up. I was sitting there in the cafeteria, you and Brandon Reitz came and sat with me. I remember telling you the story and I remember you invited me to be in a Bible study, uh, where we, we were reading the fuel in the flame. And I will say, I, I was like, man, I think I'll do it. And we had a, we had a meeting to decide where this thing was going to take place. And it was decided that it was going to take place in my dorm room. So at that, <laughs> at that point, we made the commitment it, for you. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, man, I'm so grateful. Um, because as we were reading the fuel and the flame, and we are talking about uh, living out our faith on campus, which is all the things that I wanted to do in my life. And I was still, you know, coming into my own as a man. And I still had lots of insecurities. I wasn't bold in a lot of ways. And then what was amazing is we were reading this book because the book itself wasn't going to do it. I don't even think just my dad and his story and the letter was going to do it. I needed a mentor in my life to push me, to help me to do the things that I knew I really wanted to do, but I was scared to do. And so that's who you were for me, Sean, because, uh, you know, that conversation that you were talking about with that guy, Hmm. I I knew I needed to do it. And I don't know, I wouldn't have done it if you weren't pushing me. I think even a month before that uh, was the first time that we'd ever gone to share, uh, I'd ever gone to share my faith, but really it was, I was going with you to share with a guy on our floor. And I remember, Hey, uh, do you think we need to go share with this guy down the hall? And I remember I, I had no other answer other. Yes, we need to. But I was like, Oh my gosh, I know this is where, I know this is where, where this is going. What and a so, question. Do you think we need to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's, and and yeah. so you, you took me down there and you know, I didn't think I was going to have to say anything. And then about halfway through, it was like, hey, Blake, why don't you share your testimony? And man, I stumbled through that. Um, you know, part of me, I was like, man, wait, if he just put me on the spot. But when we left that conversation with that guy, I was like on cloud nine because mm-hmm. I was thinking we could have spent the last 30 minutes playing basketball watching TV, studying. I probably wouldn't have been studying, but we just talked to a Despite guy. the globe in the background, I see the power. You got that power move with that globe, the intellectual. So erudite, power scholar, move. scholarly. <laughs> it's all but a I, facade. Yeah, but, go ahead. Well, so I was just going to say, I mean, we just talked to a guy about where he was going to spend eternity. Mm. Like, Like how amazing was that? And I was so grateful, Sean, that you had taken me and pushed me and let me be a part of that. And then for the next four years in college, three and a half years, um, you know, that sparked something. And so I continued to share the gospel um, with guys on campus. It it definitely got easier, but every single time it was like, okay, am I going to be a man here or am I going to back down and not have this conversation that I know I need to have? It's not for my benefit. It's for this guy's benefit, but ultimately I'm not doing it even for his benefit. I'm doing it because my allegiance is to, is to God. And, uh, he deserves to be glorified on this campus in this Mm -hmm. person's life. And so, man, I want to share the gospel with this guy. Um, yeah. for that reason. 
And I think, I think you hit on something really important and I want to camp out on a little bit. What, it, what happens when a guy has a mentor or versus doesn't have a mentor? Because you, from your own experience leading guys and being discipled yourself, what, what is the secret sauce that having a mentor provides? Like you just shared about evangelism and how it pushes you, lights that spark to be able to have those conversations. But what else does discipleship do for the godly man? Why is it so important? Well, I absolutely believe that if we're just like left alone, that uh, we'll continually to not make decisions, you know, the hard decisions mm-hmm. that will um, allow us to develop and become uh, a stronger man. And so the mentor in our life pushes us to make those decisions that we we know we really want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a mentor sees um, the blind spots in our life that For we sure. don't see. For sure. <laughs> um, I remember there's many conversations that Sean uh, had with me uh, that he was challenging me on things and they were all for my own benefit to grow and develop. And, uh, there were things that deep down I knew, I think when he told me, you know, in my own pride, it's like, Oh, I'm not struggling with that or I don't need that. Yeah. But we kind of, we kind of stiff arm those things though. Like if we, if we really say deep down, we could probably like admit that that's true, but we never want to. That's, that's why you need a guy to say, Hey dude, I think you're prideful or I think you are an angry person, you know? those kind of things. Right. And so that's, it's like in the moment, it's like, oh, that stings a little bit. But then I kept coming back and, you know, because I wanted that, I needed that. And I knew that if I was going to become the person that God um, had created me to be and the person that I really wanted to become, that I needed somebody in my life um, who was a little bit ahead of me, that was a little bit wiser, that had been there before, who knew things that I didn't know. I mean, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And so a mentor can push you in those areas um, to help you become the person you want to become. Well, this is really cool to me because I'm, I'm staring at what, in my opinion, is an oak of godly manhood. And yet we're talking about the days when you were a sapling. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just realizing, man, when you are a sapling, like so many college guys today and guys in their 20s, from a spiritual standpoint, but in a lot of other ways too, um, man, the the shortest drought can kill you. Um, a lighter wind can break you and you and kill you, and you're done. You know, ver- versus the mature oak. And, and so I'm sitting here staring at you, and I'm like, here's Blake Brewer. He's the CEO of the Endurance.org. He's the the founder and CEO of the father up challenge and, and you're, which I want you to talk about in a minute, but, um, here, here you are and you are out there challenging dads to engage with their kids, talking about the impact, the tremendous and unique impact that a father can have on his children. And we're sitting here talking about, you know, back in the day when you were, you know, scared to take small steps of faith and man, to me, it's just, it's so encouraging to see these snapshots in your life from, you know, almost a couple decades ago now. And, uh, man, just how, how much God has worked. Blake, tell us about the endurance and the father up challenge. Well, let me, let me share a, a small win with you, Sean, as my mentor. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, here's a couple wins. And then, uh, last week I was on a podcast episode that ha- has over 400,000 listeners. This next um, week, I'll be on one that has over a million. 
Man, thanks thanks for showing up for ours then. That's I mean, <laughs> I, I feel I feel slightly oh, flexed. You, you you made time for the small guys <laughs> I feel, and also ours. I feel slightly honored, slightly flexed upon, but mostly just grateful you're here. I mean, well, I thought you guys had two million. <laughs> but anyway, that's not that's not my point. It wasn't that at all. But right, right, right. really, my win was uh, two weeks ago. I got invited to speak to my high school football team. Mm. Um, and so you said the the team now or the guys that you were on a team with the the team now. Okay, so yeah. sophomores, juniors, and seniors. I got to share the story that I shared with you guys tonight. Mm-hmm. And and it was amazing. I got to share the gospel with these guys. But here's why this was such a win for me in my life. Because my senior year of high school, the football coach um, before one of the games said, Hey, I'm gonna give an opportunity for the seniors to speak to the team. Every senior spoke to the team, except for one, me, because I was too scared to get up and speak. And then because of having a mentor in my life, because of Sean and the development that I had in college, I began to grow in this area because I knew that I had things to share and had a message to share. And, um, and so then when I got to speak in front of this, the high school football team, where it's really the first guy to come back from that team to be able to speak, man, it was just like, so cool. So yeah. Sean, you made that happen, man. Thanks for that. That's really cool, man. Yeah. Well, dude, yeah, Blake, as, as we're moving towards a close here and finishing up, t- tell us about what you're doing with the endurance. Tell us about why you're putting your energy, your time into that. Why is it worth it? Well, ever since my dad passed away, I knew that I wanted to impact other people's lives, whatever venue that was. So that's why I went on staff with Stumo when I graduated college, I had my accounting degree, but I was like, man, I, I don't, I think I want to go invest in college students yeah. and ended up doing that for 12 years. And then as that time came to a close, I was um, wanting to take that next step. And so the next step for me um, is now that I have become a father, uh, which my third child, my son was born this past week. I saw that. Congrats. Uh, That's awesome. Nine pounds, 12 ounces, Brooks Brewer. Let's go. Uh, he's amazing. Yes. That's going to sound good on the, uh, at the football games, man, on the loudspeaker. <laughs> well, I've got Bo Brewer and Brooks Brewer. And Bo Brewer, he came out at 11 pounds and three ounces. Gosh. And I'm already showing him videos of Bo Jackson. <laughs> he, lo- he loves yes. playing baseball and he loves playing – we play fumble the football. And he loves Let's going go. after the football. I mean, this guy's don't, a hoss. Don't let him dislocate his be hip. The, the Brewer backfield, man. Yeah. <laughs> and so – uh, through all of that, I've just sort of realized and through the story of my dad, how important, um, fathers are right. in, um, in us becoming men, because it's one thing when somebody tells you, Hey, Dave, that man, great job. Mm-hmm. If I were to tell you that, but man, when your father tells you, man, I'm so proud of you, man, Definitely. I love you, man. I really believe in you, man. It is like a wind in your sails. Like there's it, so it, much it confidence. Deeper. It goes deeper than anyone else. Yeah. And I absolutely, I mean, our moms are awesome and have a crucial role in our life, but there's just something about when a dad speaks into our life. And so, um, I realized that I have an opportunity to allow fathers to speak into their life by allowing them to write and inspiring them and helping them write a letter like my dad uh, did to me. And Mm -hmm. so there, if there's, 
one thing I could help dads do it's and tell them to do to connect with their children. Hey, write a letter. Um, because in that letter, and we've created a, a, a course that helps dads um, write the letter. And our mission is to help a million dads in the next 10 years, write a legacy letter to their children. But in this letter, they tell their, their children how much they love them, how proud they are of them, um, how much they believe in them. If there's any apologies or regrets, um, dads are putting that in the letter as well. Um, but there's just something about it being in a knowing, being written down and knowing that, hey, my dad worked on this letter for a month or so. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of weight here. And then kind of like me, my dad has been gone for 18 years, but his voice, his words are still guiding me to this day. Right. And so this can be true for these fathers that are writing this letter, whether they die soon or not, because there's going to be lots of times where a person is not around their father and making big decisions, but who do we, whose voice do we want in the back of their head, their father's voice, yeah. uh, guiding them. And so, um, man, this is my mission right now is to help dads, uh, write this letter. And it's been pretty amazing. It's I love that. And I think it's amazing because it's Sean, you and I have talked just in, at other points of how really, really uh, widespread and terrible the effect of fatherlessness and and absentee fathers or abusive fathers all of that has been on our society so i love 100%. the i love the fight to to fight to battle against that so i i we're kind of running out of time so i wish i wish we had more but g give me something practical maybe as a guy who doesn't have kids yet uh, or some of our listeners who do have kids or don't have kids what can i be doing as a prospective father, or if some of our listeners are already fathers, what can I do to be a better father to my kids, be a better leader to my children? Well, definitely in your years before you become a father, um, you know that, <clears throat> that you want to connect with your children one day. Well, the most important thing you can do is connect with your heavenly father. Mm. So deepening that relationship uh, with her father. But I would also say be mentally preparing to be a father. So what I've realized in our uh, culture, and it's it's like none other in history, but in the last hundred years, we uh, are not embracing fatherhood. And um, there's a lot of different reasons for that. But for most of my life, I was preparing for a career. No one ever asked me like, hey, what type of father are you gonna be one day? So when I became a father, it was like, oh man, I haven't really thought about this. Um, but biblically, I believe once you become a father, the most important thing that you have to steward is your family. And so before whatever profession you have, your identity before that is father. And so I would say, in, um, to prepare for that, just knowing that, Hey, one day your identity is going to be father and then whatever career you choose, but we're mm -hmm. all going to have to stand before the Lord one day. And I think before he asked, Hey, you know, what did you go do in your job? Or what did you do with the gospel? Any of those things he's going to say, Hey, what did you do with your family? Did you, mm -hmm. yeah. did you steward your family? Well, uh, that's so good, Blake, man. Uh, I, I hate that we've run out of time, but I think you already know this, but you're on the endangered species list, man. You, you're a godly man, and I and I mean it. I think you're a legend of the manhood game. Uh, if my sons, I have three sons, if they could turn out uh, to be like Blake Brewer, I would die a happy man. Dude, thanks so much for making time for us, bud. It's great to see you. Hey, good seeing you guys. Love yeah, being here. Right. Appreciate y'all. 
All right. Huge thanks to our producer, Logan Bonjean, my co-host for this episode, Dave Matthews, and of course, our guest, Blake Brewer. Look, guys, as you go about the rest of your day, please remember, becoming a godly man is a matter of choice, not chance. Go out today and make it happen. Make the choice to take steps toward noble manhood. Let's get the godly man off the endangered species list. If you like the pod, subscribe on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, help us reach more aspiring men. I know that while you were listening to the pod today, there had to be some guys that came to mind, maybe some younger guys, some guys you know could be encouraged and inspired by hearing Blake's story. Share this episode with those guys. You'll have an impact on their lives. We'll see you next week.